Um, but we're in this series and we've been thinking more about like, how do we be like Jesus in 2024? Like amidst whatever we get thrown, how do we be more of a non-anxious, Jesus-like, growing spiritual presence in the world? And over the weeks to come, we're going to get into some real practical stuff. We're going to offer you some advice and some tips and some practices that you can try but before we do that, there's like a big sort of like elephant in the room thing we've got to address first, something which we, we can't actually move past until we've addressed. And um, I will tell you, it's not something I find super easy. Uh, often when we come to look at passages for the week, I, I look at whatever you know, we've been assigned for the week to preach on or the topic, and I'm like, yes, thank you, Lord. Like, I'm so excited about what you've done in my life, so excited by your word. I just can't wait to talk about this. And just occasionally, I get a topic where I'm like, oh no, I suck. (laughs) I am not good at this at all. Um, And today's topic is one I am learning about too, just like many of us are. And this is the topic. It is the topic of hurry, of moving too fast. Um, And I realized how much trouble I was in about 10 days ago when I started looking at this because I had my Bible open on my desk. I had uh, this podcast playing with some thoughts. I had some different books around me. My phone just kept pinging up like every five seconds with a different notification, like distracting me. Uh, On top of that, I was thinking about all the things I needed to pick up from the grocery store on the way home from work. And then, as if that wasn't enough, somebody knocked on my door and I said, hey, Ben, can I have a word with you? And inside, I just like blew up. I was like, ah, you ruined it. You like ruined my perfectly crafted six-way multitasking genius. You have ruined me. Um, and then I thought, oh no, <laughs> you are talking about hurry, Ben, and you are in a serious hurry. Bill Gates says this, a hurry is the new stupid. <laughs> I don't know if he's right. But let's explore it a little bit this morning. And I'm just going to say, um, because I'm not an expert, but I know people who are much better than me, a lot of what I want to say this morning comes um, from one of our great friends uh, over at Vintage Church on the west side, John Mark Comer. Um, Many of you have seen this beautiful little book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. If you've not got a copy, I want to just recommend it available at all good bookstores. So we're going to get our reading. Um, If you have your Bibles as ever, um, Anjali's going to bring it to us. It is Matthew 11, starting at verse 25. Matthew 11, starting at verse 25. At the time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The invitation is this, find rest for your soul. How do we find rest for our souls? Well, here's just a few really important points I think I want to just launch us into with this morning, which we need to observe from the passage, which are these. Number one. Soul rest that Jesus speaks about is active and it's not passive. Just notice what he says in verse 28. Come, come to me who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. 
I don't know about you, but this is one of those passages that often gets given to people when they go on vacation or they go on like a retreat. It's like, oh, you deserve a break. May you go away and find rest. May you be recharged. May you be restored that your souls might come alive again. It's sort of like an implication that life is exhausting. Life is full on, it's frenetic, but occasionally if you play your cards right, from time to time you will get to escape it and be with Jesus. It's like the sort of thrive in LA by getting out of LA kind of vibe, isn't it? But just notice what Jesus said, something very different. He says this, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, because I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest. It's not a promise just for vacation. It's not a promise even just for when we go on retreat. Jesus speaks of a yoke. And a yoke was this kind of big piece of wood that went over the shoulders of two oxen and it held them together so that they could plow a field and pull a plow. Jesus says, take my yoke. Something about what he's offering is not the escapism that we long for, but it's actually something about the rhythms of day-to-day life that offers us a different promise of life and life to the fullness. I find that as an activist a great relief. But it's also, secondly, not a question of just more religion. I mean, quite frankly, whenever anyone says something to me like spiritual practices, I'm like, oh no, like this is more, right? More things to feel guilty about and try and do really badly. But that's not what Jesus has in mind. In the religion of Jesus's time, these Pharisees had taken the Jewish law, which was often described as a yoke. Yoke because it was weighty and it put weight and down on people's shoulders. But they'd taken this yoke, which was already pretty meaty and complicated to follow, and they'd added layer upon layer upon layer of additional rules, of additional religion, just to be extra safe, to make sure God will be pleased with us. We're going to do 5,000 times more than is originally asked. It was a yoke that crushed people under a weight of just failure and pressure. Jesus says, take a new yoke. Take my yoke, a light yoke, because I'm gentle and humble in heart. I love it. I love it. In fact, what Jesus seems to say is have a posture that is so radically different from the world of adult religion, it's actually a posture of childlikeness. If you notice that in verse 25. My wife and I, we uh, we moved house just before uh, Christmas. And for the first time since we've been in California, we now live on a little street where like kids come out and play. Um, I love it. Like over the Christmas vacation, it's been like the kids have got up and then they've disappeared. And they've seen them sort of like riding their bikes up and down the street. And then suddenly they're all in everyone else's house. And then 10 minutes later, there's 25 children in our house. And they're all demanding food. And like, what do we do? And then they all disappear. And it's, it's actually kind of wonderful, you know. We, we, we missed it. We missed it in the pandemic. We didn't get to live on a street like that previously. Um, but it's reminded me a lot of what it was like when I was a kid. You know, when I was, I was 12, I went to go and live in a big tower block, a big high-rise skyscraper in Hong Kong. But before that, I lived in a little town in England. And me and my buddies, you know, especially when it was the summer vacation. I don't know if anyone else used to do this. You know, we'd have much to do. There were not very many flashy like, places to visit. So we'd, we'd ride our bikes, you know, we'd kick a ball around. We'd mostly get in trouble because we'd thrown the ball over a fence or something. Or, you know, we scraped our knees and we, we just built forts and climbed trees. Like, it's kind of beautiful, 
you know? It was kind of like awe and wonder. Life's a bit different to that now. But I I love what Jesus says. It's like, if you want to know how to be holy, if you want to get this idea of spiritual growth, the posture is the same posture as a child. Simplicity, of awe, of wonder. I love it. I love it. So how do you actually do it? Or very well to say that. But what does it look like? Well, let's dive in. Dallas Willard, uh, spiritual giant genius, he says this, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. I mean, last week we set out some pretty big challenges to spiritual life in 2024. I don't know if I would necessarily have said the same thing. I wonder what you would say. The biggest threat towards spiritual life in 2024, polarization of political life or like secularism or AI or I don't know, pandemic after effects. Like, what would you say? Hurry? Like, really? I mean, I'm an activist. I like busyness. I think it's really great. But really, hurry is the biggest problem we face. But maybe... Maybe, just maybe, he has a point. You know, health experts are telling us increasingly, aren't they, if you look beneath the surface of mental health epidemic that we face, the breakdown of family life, the exhaustion of adults and kids, the high suicide rate, physical health conditions, actually, the pace that we choose to live at has a lot to answer for. Carl Jung. You know him, he was the guy who came up with the the introvert-extrovert's phraseology. He was the Myers-Briggs dude. He says this, hurry isn't of the devil, it is the devil. Again, like seemingly overly strong words, like I don't know what you picture in your mind when you think of a devil, like I, you know, some cartoon figure, or I don't know, just something with horns, I'm not sure, but I don't necessarily think of like the late night email or the task from the boss that comes in. Actually, maybe that is a bit evil. Or whatever it is. I don't know what you think of. But what, what, Corrie Tim, uh, what, what Carl Jung is doing is he's actually piggybacking off something that Corrie Ten Boone said, the saintly lady and evangelist after the Second World War. This is what she said. She said, if the devil can't make us bad, then he'll make us busy. If the devil can't make us bad, he'll make us busy. Basically, like, yes, of course, busyness doesn't like have an evil component per se, but what it produces is a distraction from the very presence of God. See, the um, Eastern Orthodox Church had this whole thing that the goal of life is intimacy with God, deep level communion of the soul with God. And to sin in the Eastern Orthodox tradition is to miss the mark, is to miss that place of deep connection. And so in a way, my iPhone probably is not functionally evil, but how I use it, does it cause me to miss the mark? Does it cause me to be distracted? Does it produce in me a functional atheism where I don't interact with God, have any interest in him, walk away and do all sorts of different things? Then maybe... Just maybe Carl Jung and Corrie Ten Boom have a point. I realized uh, this week how right they might be. When I, I went and got my annual blood test, I'm sure we, most of us do this. If you don't, if you're watching online, you live in another part of the world. Basically what happens is we go once a year and they remove five gallons of blood from our arms. 
and then we feel a bit crazy, but they check that we're okay. Like, hey. um, and uh, so I, I take me three months to get my bloods done, because I don't know if you've ever done this, but I just kept, I kept forgetting to fast. You know, we're like, oh, I've got 12 hours fasting, and then they get the message, today you're, fa- you're going for a blood test. I'm like, dang, I just ate breakfast again. <laughs> so I eventually, um, after three months, got down to my local quest, and you, you check in. There's nobody, at, like, checking anymore. You just put it in, you put your details in the phone, and there was, like, loads of people sitting there. So I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be here sometime. And so I sat down. I thought, well, what do I do? I don't, you know, I don't normally get to do this. So I, I sat down and I thought, first, my first thought was I could spend some time with Jesus. This is incredible. You know, I'm going to put my headphones in, listen to some worship music. Um, but as I sat down, um, I noticed the person across from me um, was like giving me the eye of like, you know, I want to have a conversation with you. You know those people? They're not English. I can tell you that. Um, <laughs> But clearly wanted to have contact, so I thought, okay, maybe I should have a chat with him. But, but you'll be pleased to know what I actually chose to do was my third pathway, um, was I actually pulled out my phone and started wrestling for 15 minutes with two-factor authentication of trying to book a flight so that I could go to a church conference later in the year. Two-factor authentication is of the devil, if you're, if you're <laughs> wondering, right? Now, I thought I was just being really practical, you know, haven't got much time, got many things to do, why don't I just use this time really efficiently, and that will be good. It's the kind of message that we hear all the time, if you want to be successful, you've got to what? Work harder than everybody else. You've got to multitask more, you've got to get more done, and then you will be a successful person. But my reflection is, not only did I manage to pass a moment by without having any interaction with the Lord whatsoever, I also missed the opportunity to minister to a lovely person who he'd put in my path. Functional atheism is the byproduct of overworking. You know, I think we, um, we all want to grow more like Jesus. I, I expect we all in this room want to grow a little bit more like Jesus. But could it be that the number one problem we have is, is time? It's time. We just do not have an ability to be present to what God is doing or saying. Um, I don't know if you know, um, hurry sickness is a real thing. Um, you can look it up online. Uh, psychology Today uh, it def- deter- defines it as this. Um, it is a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness, an overwhelming and continual sense of urgency. It's a malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time and so tends to perform every task faster and faster and to get flustered when encountering any kind of delay. I'm sure that's none of you. Rosemary swore, that's what she says. And then she goes on, she says, and here's the three like, symptoms of hurry sickness. Are you ready just to kind of diagnose for a minute how you're doing? Okay, number one. When you go to the grocery store and you look at the lines at checkout, you immediately change line to get in the shortest line. Anyone? Yes. Or if you're really busy, don't go to the grocery store because I haven't got time, so order everything online. Number two, when you're approaching a stop sign in your car, you immediately change lanes and cut someone else up to get into the short line. Anyone else? Come on, be honest. You're not being honest. This is not honest now. Okay, number three. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm two for two so far, just so you know. Uh, number three, multitask to the point of forgetting one of the tasks. Anyone? Okay, now we're being honest. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when we talk to people, it's in the soil of our culture. I don't know if you've greeted someone this morning. Maybe you, someone you know. Hi, how are you doing, man? I'm doing so good. I'm just... 
busy. I've got a friend on social media, he lives far away now, but he's really good at keeping up. And so every month or so he messages me like, hey Ben, how are you doing? And every single month when he messages me, I realize I basically respond the same. Hey man, doing great, love what God's doing here, just really busy. In fact, I've had to like discipline myself not to respond that way anymore. It's just in the kind of soil that we live in. Busyness doesn't seem like an option. It's like, it's just who we are. Everybody in the West is busy. Now, don't get me wrong. I think there are different types of busyness. I think Jesus was a busy guy. He didn't exactly sit around on the beach all the time with nothing to do. His implication in today's reading is that all of us will have a yoke. We will have purpose. We'll have calling. We'll have things that he wants for us to do. This is not a like head to the spa, wait for heaven kind of invitation. Good as that might sound. There's good busyness, but also there's a more dangerous type of busyness. It's a busyness Ronald Rolheiser says is this. It's a pathological busyness. It's a busyness where the only way to keep up with the pace of having too much to do, i.e. the absolutely unending to-do list, is by just going faster. Anyone find that? Like, I just don't know if I'm going to be able to get through today. So the only way I can get through today is just to speak faster, talk faster, drive faster, multitask more to fit it all in. You know, it's the text whilst driving, whilst talking, whilst eating, whilst getting dressed, whilst putting on your makeup, whilst shouting at the kids in the back of the car, all whilst trying to take them to school. Not personal experience, obviously, just saying. But (laughs) there's just too much to do. So we just speed up, and we speed up, and we speed up to cram it all in. But here's the problem. You can't live effectively in the kingdom of God at that speed. In fact, not just that you can't, you weren't designed to. And the implications of trying to do so are huge. Michael Zigarelli, um, he conducted this really big survey, about 20,000 Christian leaders um, and other uh, types of le- other, uh, other Christians to see what the effects of going too fast might be. And this is the uh, results of his study. This is the synopsis. He says, I think the problem may be described as a vicious cycle prompted by cultural conformity. In particular, it may be the case that, number one, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload which leads to two, God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. And then the cycle begins again. Just in case you're wondering, out of all the different professions of people that he uh, surveyed, this was, this was who was uh, the worst at it. I don't know if you can see this little chart. There it is. If you can see it. Uh, notice uh, nurses and pastors, not looking good. Uh, lawyers and managers, also not, not great. Busyness can be chronic. Now, if you're not sure if this is your, if this is your deal, if you're like, I think I'm okay, I'm not sure, I, I'm not sure how I'm really doing, um, Ruth Haley Barton, if you've heard of her, she's an amazing saintly lady, she, she came up with these nine signs that you might be moving too fast through life. Okay, time for a little quiz. See how you feel that you're doing. Okay, ready? No pointing at anyone else. Okay, only yourself. Okay, number one, you might be moving too fast if you have this symptom. Number one, irritability or hypersensitivity. 
You know, the thing where you get like interrupted, someone comes into your space and wants something from you, and what do you do? Like, just kind of like lash out, like, ah, I can't take it. I'm really grumpy with all the people that I love the most around me. It's you, not me. Sorry, not. Two, restlessness. Like, you know, when you finally get a day off, you finally get to sit down at whatever time at night, you've got all the things done, you sit down on the couch, and what? You just can't switch off. You can't put it down. Like you just need something to keep stimulating you. And so like all of that kind of dopamine that's been flowing around and the anxiety, you just keep need to feed it. So what do you do? You grab a device or a phone or a remote control or something just to keep the chemicals flowing around our business, our, our bodies. Number three, uh, compulsive overworking. Like that inability to actually walk away from it anymore. So we have to be constantly switched on. There's always like another project or another email or another something that we need to do. Number four, um, emotional numbness. Comes when we're just so burnt out, just so done, that like everything has lost its color. The only emotions that we're left with are sort of these emotions of anxiety and stress and anger. Like the beauty and the wonder, the awe, the excitement, they're all just gone. We can look at the most beautiful piece of art, or we can eat the best meal, or we can climb the greatest mountain, and yet we sit there like, yeah, whatever, I don't care anymore. Number five, escapist behaviors. It's like basically when everything is so overwhelming that we just have to like hide from it as best we can and shut it into a closet. So we just like head for like Netflix or Reels or whatever your, your chosen cultural narcotic of choices nowadays, I don't know. Even like, like going for like exercise or socializing or anything or drinking or drugs or whatever, just something that will like divert us from the pain that we feel in the rest of life. Number six, being disconnected from identity and calling. You know, when you get so busy, all you can do is basically live at this frenetic pace where you're just reacting every day to anything and everything that comes your way, but there's no sense of being called and having purpose. Number seven, and not being able to attend to human needs. Um, did you know that? I, I found out when I was doing a lot of research, the, before Thomas Edison invented the light bulb, um, the average American slept for 11 hours a night. You know that, 11 hours. When you, when you read those books about great men and women of God who used to get up at 4 a.m. to pray, it's like, heck yes, they went to bed at 5 p.m. <laughs> it's like, what else were they going to do with their days? Now, apparently, the average is seven. Um, you know, when we, we, we have these moments in life where we can't sleep, we don't have time for exercise or home-cooked meals or friendships, we've got no margin. Number eight, when we hoard energy, we're just like, I don't have time for that kind of person. I don't have time for that. I'm just going to keep my energy to myself like that they can stay away. Number nine, finally, when we find slippage in our spiritual practices. Then when the very things that are supposed to fuel our life, we just turn them off. God becomes not the first thing we go to, but the first thing to go because there just isn't room. Feeling good about any of that? <laughs> Hard, right? I mean, let me be honest. I have been nine for nine uh, many times in my life on that list. But there is a lot at stake. A lot at stake. Today, um, 
Another quote from Ronald Rollheiser. Today, a number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate within which it's difficult not to think about God or to pray, but simply to have any interior depth whatsoever. We find for every kind of reason, good or bad, that we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It's not that we have anything against God, depth, or spirit. We would like these things. It's just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in movies, theater, the sports stadium, the shopping mall, the fantasy life that we produce in us than we are in the church. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major roadblocks today within our culture, spiritual life. Wow, like hard words, hard words. But if the goal, you see, is spiritual life, that life of John 10.10, life and life in all its fullness, then maybe actually hurry is a problem to us having that. John Mark Homer, in that book, he, he defines our spiritual life as our capacity to give and receive love in relationship to God and one another. Think about it for a moment. Our spiritual life is our ability to receive from the Father love, from love from those around us, but then to have the capacity to be able to give it away to God and one another. That our souls would become enlarged to receive love and then give love away. I mean, Jesus says it, doesn't he? When he's asked, what's the greatest commandment of all? What does Jesus say? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. This loving person is the invitation of Jesus. But of course, the problem is you can't be a person of love if you're in so much of a hurry that you don't have any love to give away. Kasuke Koyama, he's a a late Japanese theologian, He wrote this beautiful book called The Three Mile an Hour God. And his idea was that God works slowly. He took the idea of Jesus, God walking in the garden with Adam and Eve. And he he said that like in, in his estimation, God walks slowly because he is love. If he is not love, he would have gone much faster. Love has its speed. It's an inner speed, a spiritual speed. A different kind of speed to the technological speed that we are accustomed. It is slow, but it is Lord over all other speeds because it is the speed of love. And if you notice that Jesus actually was quite slow, like I think if I'd have had three years to like basically save the universe, I'd have had quite a lot of things to fit into the schedule. I think I'd have multitasked pretty hard. I'd have had a team. I'd have got it all worked out. If you read the life of Jesus, so often it seems to be like Jesus was going from A to B and some person just walked across his path and took up five hours of his time because he had some need or other and needed some healing. Jesus never just seemed to be in any sort of hurry. Dallas Willard was asked, what's the one word that you would use to describe Jesus? And the word he came up with, Jesus was relaxed. I don't know if that's fair, I don't know if it's totally accurate, but but it's not often how I understand the spiritual life. But the problem is, of course, is that hurry sabotages the spiritual life. In fact, firstly, hurry sabotages our ability to receive love in the first place. I, I don't know about you, but I don't actually receive love by learning about it. 
I don't receive love by sitting through a sermon or by reading a book or even watching a TV program. I don't. I receive love in relationship. When, and, and the problem is, of course, is that relationships are not very efficient. Like they're, they, they're all a bit messy. When, when Laura and I were first dating, I was, I was like a, a, in my final year of undergrad and she'd already graduated from a different university and she was like 150 miles away. And we were in love, or at least I was in love. I, I wasn't certain she was in love, but... So we would do these crazy things, like we would drive like 100 miles to go and like hang out for a couple of hours in some faraway place just so that we could be together. Or we'd call late at night and we'd just be on the phone to talk till two or three o'clock in the morning. Like it was totally like inefficient. It's like it, should, it shouldn't have been the way that you do it, but yet of course that's how love works. And, and love with God is the same kind of deal. Like I, I love our charismatic tradition because you know in our charismatic tradition we show up and we say, God, we are here for you. Like we're giving you this time, we're giving you our attention, we're giving you our voices, we're giving you our best, and we believe that as we do that, you will show up to you and give love to us. And the thing is, we say, do what you want, and you know what? God does what he wants. And some weeks we feel it in the bones that we feel so loved, and other weeks we seemingly feel not very much. It's inefficient, it's not repeatable, it's not programmable. Love is kind of messy, love takes time. How often do our spiritual lives become a checkbox exercise, right? I just got to get to church. I just got to get through my quiet time of the day. I just got to pray for this many minutes. So got to go to community group. Check, 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 check. I did it. Fantastic. I'm a good Christian. Love takes time. If we don't receive love, we've got no love to give. We need time to let God love us into wholeness. I wonder when was the last time you had clear space to hear the still small voice of the Father saying to you, I love you. So hurry stops us receiving love, but then, of course, it stops us giving it away. You know, I love, I love the cut and thrust of being busy. I love the life in the city. It's so great. But if I'm really honest, my worst moments, my least loving moments... Always when I'm too busy. Always when I'm just racing around trying to get out the door. I don't know when it happens in your house, in my house, 7.45 a.m. without fail every day. You know, like kids got to get to two different schools. We got to get to church. Like usually no one's done their homework by this point in the proceedings. Like lunches have not been made. Like we've left everything at home. Everyone's trying to get in the car. Like everyone's angry. We're just too stressed out. And in those moments, there's no compassion, right? There's no love. It's just like, we got to get this thing done. So let's get out the door, everybody. But love is slower, right? Love is slower. Just notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. The very first thing Paul says about love is, anyone know? Love is patient. Love is patient. It's like love flows from compassion, and compassion is not fast. Compassion is not hurried. Compassion does not say, like, let's get it done and get you out of here. Compassion says, I'm going to stop and take time to feel what you feel, to hear what you hear, to see what you see. Compassion says, I'm going to walk in your shoes, even though it might be inconvenient for me to see the world from your perspective. Of course, if we're running, if we're racing, 
If we've got no margin, then there's no space for compassion. There's no space for love. There's only space for task. So what do we do? A final couple of minutes. What, what might we actually do? Because I, I don't want you to come to church and be like, I'm such a failure at this. I'm such a failure at this. Well, I don't think the answer is let's just get some more hours in the day. You know, that's the phrase, isn't it? If we only had five more hours in the day, then everything would be fine. I actually think if it was me and I had five more hours in the day, I would feel that fast. You know, like new hobby, new friends, new places to travel, some new business ventures. I don't know what I'd do, right? But it's not more hours. Maybe it's actually time to be brutally honest and say it's time to slow down. It might just be time, and I speak it to myself as much as I do in 2024, that this is a year where ruthlessly, and I do think it might have to be ruthlessly, we need to create some margin in our schedules. We've got to create some space to receive the love of the Father, and we've got to create some space that we might give it away to everyone else. And by the way, I think this might be the biggest spiritual battle that you'll face this year. If this is the biggest spiritual challenge, then it will be the biggest spiritual battle of all. But just notice what John Altberg says. To choose to live an unhurried life in our day is somewhat like taking a vow of poverty in earlier centuries. It's scary. It's an act of faith. But, he says, there are deeper riches on the other side. I don't know what you've got planned this year. I don't know where you're going. I don't know what your weeks look like. I don't know how many hours you have to work or socialize or the pressures of family life or relationships. I don't know what you contend with. I bet it's a lot. But hear the invitation of Jesus to you one more time, and I'm going to read it in the message. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Let's pray together. And why don't we even just start by just taking a moment to just be honest between us and the Lord about just how we feel about this whole thing. Just have a conversation with God about where you are today. Come, Holy Spirit. In our frenetic, paced lives, come meet us, we pray. Why don't we take a moment just to name those things that even to right now are buzzing around our minds, those tasks, those places, those things we haven't done yet, all that we've got to get through over the, even the rest of today. Let's just name it and let's give it to the Lord for a moment so that we can enter into his rest.
Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Lord, would you teach us the unforced rhythms of grace that we might live in deep union with you and with one another. Thank you, Lord.